Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Science, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Galina Limorenko, doctoral candidate in neuroscience with a focus on biochemistry and molecular biology of neurodegenerative diseases at the PFL in Switzerland, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Robert, Robert Cheek about his new book that he co-wrote with his uh, uh, co-author, Matt Frazier, The Plant-Based Athlete, a game-changing approach to peak performance. The only research-based guide for connecting a plant-based diet with a peak athletic performance, featuring interviews with professional athletes who've made the switch from meat to plants. The Plant-Based Athlete by Matt Frazier and Robert Cheek reveals the incontrovertible proof that the human body does not need meat, eggs, or dairy to be strong. Instead, research shows that a consciously calibrated plant-based diet offers the greatest possible recovery times, cell oxidation, injury prevention, and restorative sleep, and allows athletes to train more effectively with better results. Well, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Galina. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's really great to have you here with us today. So as we have witnessed the unprecedented times of the recent global pandemic, and we're still in the midst of it, but hopefully things are starting to look a little better. I was wondering if you could reflect on how has it affected you and your work, and maybe some main takeaways that you have gathered from this experience. Oh, yeah. The, uh, so the pandemic in general has had a significant impact on me. Of course, I mean, not nearly as significant as those uh, families who have lost loved ones and those who have lost their lives to it. But as far as me and my work promoting the vegan bodybuilding lifestyle that I've been doing for 25 years, that has been significantly impacted because for the past 10 or 15 years, what I've done is traveled around the world, not just the United States, but I've given lectures around the world from Asia to Australia to Europe and North America, South America, Central America, talking about building your body on a plant-based diet. And I've been not just speaking to plant-based audiences or vegan audiences who are kind of cheerleaders for this movement, but uh, speaking at major fitness expos uh, with some of the you know biggest name uh, fitness icons in the world and and going to large fitness events and festivals and and expos and conferences and talking about, being a plant-based athlete and building your body with plants. And I, I haven't really been able to do that uh, over the last year and a half as far as traveling around and speaking. But what I have been able to do is focus more on writing. I've been working on this book, The Plant-Based Athlete, for two and a half years. It just came out in June, of course, and became a New York Times bestseller and a number one international bestseller. And I think the reason for that partly is because I was at home. I was at home for months at a time to really do my best work, my, my best writing, where before I would be sometimes every week traveling somewhere to, to Los Angeles or New York or London or somewhere. And I, I wasn't able to write as much or do my perhaps my best literary work. So that's been, a, a, I guess, a, a personal benefit for me as far as my 
career as a writer and now my ability to reach more people with my writing as the, the book has already uh, been translated into six languages and has been distributed around the world even just a, a few months after it came out. And, and I've also been able to, in some ways, focus more on diet, nutrition, and exercise because I'm in a more controlled environment at home rather than being on the road in, in a city I'm not familiar with and trying to find restaurants, which you know, often use extra oil and sugar and salt in their food and taking excess calories and, and hard to find gyms and all of that. So, you know, I don't want to sound like it's been a, a, a terrible situation for me, even though I lost a lot of work and a lot of travel and not around friends and family as much. But, but it's, while recognizing it's been a much more difficult time for a lot of other people, it has been a time for me to reflect prioritize and focus on some of the things that I maybe neglected a little bit um, uh, for a while there, including following my best nutrition programs, my best exercise programs, and doing my best writing. And so that's kind of what I've been up to for the past year and a half. That's very interesting. So you had the time for the introspection during this uh, uh, pandemic time. I, I was wondering, are you going to carry on having some of those habits that you developed, maybe less traveling? Yeah, you know, it, it really put some things into perspective. You know, I used to I used to be a world-class uncle. You know, I have nieces and nephews, and I was just what I would consider, you know, just one of the best in the world, you know, spending quality time with them and uh and and you know, playing games and characters and different voices and and entertaining them and coming up with stories and writing essentially children's books for them and all of this stuff. And then I I got kind of, uh, you know, focused on just my own work, just my book, and and this lifelong goal to become a bestseller. And I kind of isolated myself, and 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 COVID and the pandemic uh, enhanced that with further isolation. And I, and recently, in recent weeks, I have spent really just recent weeks since the book came out, and I could take a, a breath of relief for a little bit from the stress and the anxiety and really the burden that comes with writing a book of that caliber. And I've been spending time with family uh, a bit more and and reflecting again on that, where my travels, you know, I would miss uh, birthdays. I would, I would miss, you know, holidays. I would miss certain meaningful events with uh, my immediate family or extended family because I was traveling all the time. Because that was another obsession of mine was traveling and working and and I love exploring. And I used to work on cruise ships you know, 20 years ago and traveled around the world to 30 different countries. And, and my work, you know, promoting veganism in that way through travel was something I, I really, you know, justified those experiences away from family and friends. And, you know, I was, I was often unavailable, uh, if that makes sense, even, even within my own immediate family, you know, even I wasn't always available even have dinner with my wife, you know, because I was, I was so focused on other things that I had to do. So this has given me incredible uh, introspection and opportunities to reflect. And I've taken those opportunities. I mean, here, I'm, I'm talking to you now from visiting my in-laws, you know, we're here for a whole week and spending time with uh, my wife's family and her parents and her brother and the community she grew up in. And, and I'm, I did the same with my family. And and I do want to carry some of those things forward, you know, and I've, I've also slowed down on some of the workaholism. I've been mostly just part of uh, my, my personality and 
it goes back to honestly, as far as I can remember, high school as a teenager, 25 years ago of just trying to work every waking moment, just feeling that if I'm not working, I'm not being productive. If I'm not being productive, I'm wasting time. There's no time to waste time because then you, you're just complaining about things you don't have or accomplish or whatever. And I, I realized that maybe that's not the healthiest approach after all, you know, with this, yes, I got this great book out there that I've been working my whole life to, to achieve. And, and that took a, a tremendous work ethic and work effort. But at the same time, I, I, I really didn't see any friends or family or have personal uh, relationships during that time. And it left me feeling a bit lonely and isolated and full of anxiety and not having people to talk to. And, and uh, I even got sick a couple of times, you know, just sick for weeks because I, I was just so stressed and working and not sleeping very well and worried all the time and trying to reach certain expectations. And uh, that comes with this workaholism and perfectionism that I've had since I was a kid. And it has some benefits, like that's what enabled me to be a champion vegan bodybuilder when I probably had no business in bodybuilding since I was a runner, but I had the work ethic and it made it happen. And I was able to write and publish five books and travel around the world and, and be a speaker on stage in China, Australia, England, you know, all these unique places. But at the same time, it, it left me unfulfilled in other areas, including with family, friends. Uh, I've got two little dogs, two little chihuahuas and leaving them for a month at a time or weeks at a time, you know, that started to take a toll on me a little bit. And now that I have been reflecting again, only really in recent weeks, since the book has been out, I've been working a lot less. I've been exercising more. I'm in, I'm in, I'm outside outdoors in fresh air more. I'm spending time with family more. I'm spending time with friends more. I'm communicating more. Whereas before, uh, people basically stopped communicating with me, uh, text messages, phone calls, because they just figured I was too busy. I was never around, you know, even if they wanted to share something, maybe one of my childhood friends had a baby, you know, or they wanted to share, I don't know, anything news about their job or anniversary or whatever. And I just wasn't, people just kind of assume that Robert's not available. He's just too busy. He's working on these major projects. And I've taken a step back. And I honestly think it's been really good for my overall health and wellness and well-being to have those emotional connections with friends and family, having the fresh air and the outdoor exercise, instead of being at a computer for 15 hours a day, I've barely turned my computer on uh, during the, the four or five days I've been here visiting family. I just haven't turned it on much. And, and I've been just doing all these things that uh, remind me that there's there's other aspects of life to be enjoyed during the 1,440 minutes we have every day, other than just this this work that is this cycle that's basically never ending. And so I, I've definitely had some good reflection times, and I think it's put me on a a better and healthier overall path. Yeah, for sure. And that's really interesting that uh, many people who are listening uh, would relate to what you are saying. And quite often, we just don't really realize that we're in the midst of that rut, as, uh, as you can describe it. Yeah, it's hard. To, it's sometimes hard to recognize on your own. And I've always been this, this kind of upbeat, you know, life of the party kind of person, high energy, always smiling, thumbs up, you know, everything's all good. 
and and then I, you know, I did go into this uh, bit of depression, which I had never experienced before. In fact, I, I, I communicated that with a few of my, my very best friends, maybe just two friends. I told that I'm going through this, um, I don't know, weird mental health situation where I just feel kind of sad and I, I don't feel motivated. And this is even after achieving these lifelong dreams, I had achieved these things that very few people do, you know, becoming a New York Times bestseller, a number one international bestseller. And I'm, and I'm not someone who decided to write a book a week ago. I've, I've been working at it for 33 years since I was a, a kid working on writing books. And I've written plenty that never got published. And it's been a lifelong journey. And I achieved this, this, you know, ultimate success in my career. And yet I still felt unfulfilled because I didn't have close friends to share it with, you know, and, you know, and that gave me some reasons to pause and evaluate things and maybe, I don't know, determine uh, some other things that are are really, really important in life. And, uh, and, and you know, your work success or professional success is just a part of that, you know, health, wellness, good quality sleep, rest, relaxation is just is this better I don't know, this this more well-rounded aspect of wellness. And I have to say, my co-author of The Plant-Based Athlete, Matt Frazier, does that really well, to be honest. He's he's married like I am, but has two kids. And he really focuses on family time and making sure there's, there's these other priorities other than work. And if it's, at times that would frustrate me. I'm like, come on, we have this one of the best-selling books in the world. Let's go. Every waking moment, promote, 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 sell, sell, sell. Let's get this message out there. Let's land another book deal. Let's get more international deals. Let's put every waking moment into promoting this for the movement, for the message, the impact it's going to have on people, animals, the environment. Let's go. And he didn't have that same mentality. And I, and I kind of resented that for a little bit. And then I realized, wait a minute, maybe he's on to something because he, he has a far better work-life balance than I do. And he was even exercising more during the book launch than I was because I was just so obsessed with being on my computer and working and promoting. I wasn't even working out that much, even even having written the, the best selling you know fitness book in the world at that time. And, and and that was in a weird way that was inspirational for me, even if I kind of resented my friend, my longtime friend and co author for like for having that work life balance. I didn't understand it because I hadn't had that for myself in, in more than 20 years. And I've told him this, we've had some nice conversations and heart to heart talks. And I even mentioned that in the acknowledgements of the book that he, that he has, he has inspired me in that way to slow down and realize, you know, there, there, there's so many more things than just writing a book or just making some list or, you know, this is, this isn't the last book we're going to write. You know, we're only 41 years old. We have a lot of writing left in us and a lot more things to accomplish professionally. And this is just one of those steps along the way. And so having that mentality, I have been, I've been hanging out with my wife, hanging out with our dogs. I, I go on walks, sometimes two hours a day, just walking and in and, and fresh air, outdoor exercise, just thinking, uh, brainstorming, imagining, <laughs> um, reflecting, uh, contemplating. And I've been working out, I brought weights with me. It was a seven hour drive in the car. I brought weights with me and I've been, I've used them every single day while I'm, you know, technically on vacation or visiting family in ways that I wouldn't have when I was just focusing on work. I didn't even have time to exercise, which kind of goes against what I've written about, you know, 
And so uh, this has been a, a a time of growth, I would say, a, a very effective time of growth. And I'm right, I'm still right in the middle of it. You know, yesterday I was I was signing books in big bookstores and 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 enjoying those experiences, but also having dinner with family and taking the dogs for walks in the sun and working out in the morning and in the afternoon. And wow, what a difference. What a difference it is to be a little bit more well balanced in in life and it's it's kind of a new experience for me i have to be honest oh for sure yeah excellent so i was wondering how did you get interested in uh, being an athlete and you mentioned you were a runner before yeah i've been i've been a lifelong a- athlete but it must have started somewhere right and so really where it started to the best of my knowledge was in elementary school i was probably 7 or 8 years old I grew up on a farm and actually I spent more than 20 years living on a farm. So I'm very familiar with raising animals and all of that. And we had a dairy next door, uh, an op- operating dairy, uh, producing milk and, 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 you know, possibly some meat too. I don't remember all the things they were doing, but that family was a very, very skilled, uh, soccer playing family, you know, football. <laughs> and, in fact, my, my friend who was in my, my age, uh, he went on to play professional soccer, uh, professional football in, in the MLS here in the U.S., and maybe he played internationally too, I don't know, but he got me into the sport of soccer. And so I started playing soccer and realized I really enjoyed it. And then a year or two later, we had this thing very common to, to run the mile, you know, run a mile and, and, and you time it and see how well you do compared to the other students. Or, I mean, that's not really the purpose of it to compare yourself, but of course that's my competitive nature had me doing that. And so we ran this mile at elementary school and, and I, I was maybe the second or third fastest, I think, and I'd never done it before. And so we did it again, maybe the next year when I was age 10 or something. And I, I think I was probably the very fastest in our school and that stuck with me. And so when I went on to uh, middle middle school, you know, age like, Oh, what is that? Thir- uh, 12 through 14 or something. I, I was the same kind of thing. I was the, the fastest in the school and I really resonated with running. It was just something that I was good at. And I liked basketball. I watched basketball on television. I grew up during the era of Michael Jordan, you know, and he was, I wanted to be a basketball player. And I, so I played all the time. I had this discipline where I would even shoot baskets. We had a barn out, you know, outside our our house, you know, we had a couple barns living on a farm, but inside the barn, we had a basketball hoop on some concrete and, uh, and some lights, you know, turn on lights to do farm work late at night. And I could even be out there until midnight, uh, practicing. And, and, and I had this bizarre discipline for a young person to just want to keep getting better and better and better, even if it meant working, uh, you know, working on my skills until the middle of the night. I would do the same with running. I would run at all hours of the day and night. Even if I didn't get done with work as a teenager until midnight, I would still go run after that just to make sure I finished it for the day. And I just loved athletics. I loved, you know, the, the, the art of sports itself, like the actual exercise where it didn't matter what sport it was. I just liked the exertion of it. I liked the the effort of it, the adrenaline of it, the fatigue of it, the uh, competitive nature of it, the um, athletic endeavor aspect of it. I just, I just enjoyed the physical nature of it. And so running is, is kind of by default, a competitive 
thing. I mean, you, you, you run and see who's faster or who has better endurance, who can run the longest or the furthest or the fastest in a certain amount of time over a distance. And I, that really resonated with me. So by the time I got to high school, I was involved in five sports. I was a runner. I was a basketball player. Uh, I was a soccer player, a wrestler, and did almost every event in track and field, you know, from the long jump to the hurdles, to the distance events, the throwing of the javelin shot put, uh, uh, discus, all that stuff, sprinting. And, and, and that's when, that's when I became vegan, vegan, growing up on a farm, being around farm animals, raising cows and chickens and ducks and geese and turkeys and horses and ponies and all of these different animals, I, I started to really resonate with them as having their own interest to live a life free of fear, pain, and suffering and, and, and have the same opportunities to at least live out their lives like I did or like I do. And so I became vegan back in 1995, growing up on a farm and as a five sport athlete, wondering, can I even do this? You know, this is before the internet was really available and wondering, you know, can I get enough protein? because I had learned that milk does a body good and that beef is what's for dinner. And especially growing up on a farm and having farming parents, uh, meat was gold, you know, animal protein was the standard. It was, my parents were worried about my overall nutrition and wellness and health. When I became vegan back in the 1990s, they, they were concerned that I wasn't, I was going to be malnourished and sick and all of this. And, and I went on to be a champion uh, athlete in numerous sports and went on to compete at the, at the college level after high school in long distance running. And then I discovered the sport of weightlifting and bodybuilding that I really had no business doing. I mean, I was a runner and I was pretty relatively tall and thin runner at that. I mean, nothing like the build of a bodybuilder, powerlifter, weightlifter, or American football player, nothing like that, but I did it anyway. And I, and I, and it was the same kind of enthusiasm and passion and discipline and work ethic and a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle never slowed me down. I became a champion vegan runner, a champion vegan bodybuilder multiple times. I gained 100 pounds. Uh, so that's, I don't know, what is that? 40 something kilos. Uh, I, I gained 100 pounds on a plant-based diet. I wrote a bunch of books about it, traveled the world about it, uh, talking about it. And to this day in my forties, I'm enjoying exercise to the point that at this, at least at, at this stage, I'm even prioritizing it while on vacation, visiting family, spending some time outside exercising every day. And so it's just been something that's been a part of me my whole life. And because the, I've been vegan for most of my life, for a quarter century, almost 26 years, it put me in a position to to write about this in a book that would actually reach the mainstream audience, which this one has. And so uh, it's just been something I'm really grateful for and, and honored to be able to share decades of experience, having lived this lifestyle for so long and dedicated most of my life to it. So during your journey, you shattered several myths and preconceptions about yeah. athletes and about diets. And I was just wondering what roles did your mentors and your trainers play along your career journey? And maybe you have some advice for uh, other aspiring athletes. Oh yeah, absolutely, Galena. In fact, to be honest, and this is, this is absolutely true, dating back 25 years ago, my goal was to shatter those myths. I mean, that's why I did it. I was a compassionate, 
vegan activist athlete. I mean, I was talking about veganism in school and working with our coaches and sports teams and athletic departments to to get non-leather equipment, get synthetic equipment or rubber equipment instead of using animal hides, uh, instead of using using leather. And I was giving presentations in school and I was involved in Students for Peace through global responsibility groups and starting programs at our school and you know protesting the zoo and the clear cutting of old growth forests, which are, you know, ha- you know, old trees and habitats to countless animals. And, you know, I, I was, I was, and still am so into it for those particular reasons. And that's never left. That's always been a driving force. And so I honestly, I honestly wanted to shatter those myths. That's why I tried so hard. I mean, I wasn't designed physically to, to gain a hundred pounds on a plant-based diet and become this, this champion bodybuilder and, and be a big part of this movement, but I wanted to show people. And I remember even telling people back in high school, I wanted to show people that if I could get bigger and stronger without consuming animal protein, that this could inspire other people to do the same. And maybe we would save a bunch of animals along the way. And so that's why I did it. And at first, uh, per your question, uh, coaches, mentors, you know, teachers were a little bit concerned. But one person who was always supportive was my older sister, Tanya. She is the one that actually inspired me to become vegan in the first place. She became vegan before I did. We were both involved in in, uh, raising animals and then selling them at the auction for money when we were kids. And we were making money selling uh, chickens, making money selling cows, you know, rabbits, this kind of thing. And, And she stopped doing that. And and became this compassionate vegan, and I didn't even really know what that was. But she supported me, encouraged me, enlightened me, and guided me on this path. And of course, you know, for her, thirty years later, she's still vegan today. Has a, a vegan family, vegan daughter. Uh, she's actually a PhD professor of of microbiology, and 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 and, and you know does high level research and all of that. And 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 she was always with me as far as a, a mentor and supporter. And I've had, I've had this great honor of realizing there were some of my teachers along the way who maybe thought I was a little bit strange in high school with my behavior, with my dietary choices. But now they're people that I'm able to sign books for 25 years later and thank them for for their role in supporting me, even if I was a little bit different back then, even if I was a little bit outspoken back then, or ruffled some feathers back then, or was just so defiant and and dedicated to something they didn't fully understand, they can now, decades later, realize, wow, what a what an incredible commitment or or desire or willpower it must have taken and and here's the result of that of this you know decades of influence on others and then of course there's my my role models within the movement you know when i joined the movement the vegan movement i'm talking about it was howard lyman and john robbins and brenda davis and people like that and, and they're all people i'm still in touch with now decades later and athletes this is kind of the the fun part <laughs> Galena, this is this is actually really, in some ways, really rewarding. When I first got into bodybuilding, I was a huge fan. I mean, I I, I mean, I traveled out to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger on my twenty first birthday. I have a photo of me and Arnold on my twenty first birthday. I mean, I was a fan, right? I traveled to bodybuilding events. I would wait in line to meet bodybuilders for two hours, 
standing in line to get their autograph and a photo with them. And now fast forward about 20 years later, I go to these events as an exhibitor, as a speaker, people come and you know meet me and take photos. And I actually sign books for the, for these athletes that I used to have posters of them up on my wall. They were, they were my heroes and role models. And now all these years later, they're coming to me to learn about the benefits of a vegan lifestyle and plant-based diet because they've heard so much about it. They are at this point, retired bodybuilders. They're many of them are in their fifties. I would say they're about 10 years older than me, 10 to 15 years older. They're in their early to mid fifties. And they're really trying to reclaim their health after decades of mainstream bodybuilding and mainstream animal protein consumption and, and, you know, other things, uh, uh, you know, steroid use or whatever. They're just trying to clean up their diet lifestyle. And it's been just been really rewarding because these are people I used to wait in line for hours to meet and, uh, and have their pictures in my, in my house, you know, read the, uh, see all their photos in the magazines. And now I have the opportunity to, to maybe inspire them in some way. And, uh, and I found that to be really rewarding. So there's been, there's been a lot of mentors, a lot of leaders, a lot of people who paved the way, a lot of colleagues, you know, Brendan Brazier in the vegan athlete movement. And more recently, uh, Rich Roll and, and Scott Jurek and John Joseph and, and Fiona Oaks and Christine Varderos and Orla Walsh and, and many others have been uh, role models. And so uh, it's just something that it's such a great community to be part of and have different role models and leaders at different stages of, I guess, my, my evolution within this movement. So as you turned into a mentor and inspiration to so many people yourself, and you bring all your passion and the first-hand expertise uh, together in this uh, book with uh, Matt Frazier, the plant-based athlete. So can you just uh, explain what is it about and how did you come to writing it? Yeah, this is... So I was giving a presentation about 10 or 11 years ago in Washington, D.C., and Matt was in the audience. And he came up to me afterwards and introduced himself and we had the opportunity to meet. And I was, I think I was a little bit familiar with him. He was pretty new. He, had, he actually, he wasn't even hundred percent vegan yet. Uh, I later would find out, I did not know this, <laughs> but he would later tell me and tell audiences when we were on speaking tours that, that it was that talk that he heard from me that really pushed him over the edge to become 100% vegan. He was running his no meat athlete blog and website still consuming some fish and some uh, cheese and dairy products. Uh, he just didn't, you know, he just didn't know, even though it was called no meat, he still had fish on there and and some, you know, of course, dairy. Uh, but uh, but that, that presentation about 11 years ago helped inspire him to go fully plant-based. And then I invited him out to a group dinner with a bunch of my vegan bodybuilding friends, maybe a day or two later, and he came to that. And then you know, we live 3000 miles apart on complete opposite ends of the United States, West coast and East coast. But I was traveling and, and I was out in his town. And this is shortly after we met within a year, I think after we met and I, I stayed at his house and, and I uh, remember his, his son was only maybe one year old and his daughter wasn't born yet. And now his son is 11. So it was a long time ago and we became friends and, and I would visit with him when I would travel and, to his area. And, uh, and then I started speaking on this, this holistic holiday at sea vegan cruise that's been sailing in the Caribbean for 10 years, actually 15, 16 years, but I've been a speaker for 10 years. And Matt came on there 
uh, for maybe four of those years. And uh, that cruise has Dr. Michael Greger and Caldwell Esselstyn and Brenda Davis and T. Colin Campbell and uh, Dr. Michael Clapper and Neil Barnard and basically everyone you can think of, Chef AJ, you know, anyone you can think of in the plant-based health and wellness movement, they're on that cruise. So we spend a week together, you know, every single year, spend a week with Dr. Campbell and Clapper and Esselstyn and Gregor. And, you know, it's just a great time as well as a bunch of vegan athletes too. Uh, Danny and Giacomo and, and uh, Derek and Marcella and uh, popular in the U S and, and Matt Frazier, of course. And so for a long time, I have wanted to tell the compelling stories of the world's greatest plant-based athletes. I've written a bunch of books already on this subject but I really wanted to tell these stories of all these other athletes, dozens of them, hundreds of them who are some of the best in the world at what they do and have been plant-based in some cases since birth. Some have, some have been vegan since birth and have gone on to win Olympic medals, become world champions or, or, or professional bodybuilders doing this lifestyle, never having animal products in their entire life. And I wanted to tell those stories. And so I actually flew across the country <laughs> Uh, to meet with Matt and met him in person and, and pitched the idea to him. I said, man, you would be the perfect co-author. I mean, I, I've been running veganbodybuilding.com for almost 20 years. He's been running nomeatathlete.com for 10 years. I have a, a, a bodybuilding and strength-based audience. He has an endurance-based audience. He probably runs the largest vegan athlete community in the entire world based on web traffic and number of newsletter subscribers and all of that. And and I, I probably have, you know, the second largest based on 20 years of history in our website and social media platforms and newsletter and our, our tours and books and all that. And so we thought this could be a great pairing, bring a couple longtime plant-based athletes together who have a history of writing books. Matt has, had written two or three books and I had written four and he agreed. He said, let's do it. So we went right to work and I personally interviewed about 60 world-class vegan athletes. Uh, some of them, about a dozen of them are Olympians, Olympic medalists or Olympic athletes. Another dozen or more are world champions. Some are even Guinness world record holders like Fiona Oaks, who's been vegan for 50 years, five decades. And, and then I interviewed about 40 experts like Dr. Campbell and Dr. Will Bolsowitz and, and, uh, and, and Dean and Aisha Sherzai and, and so many others. And we, we put this book together telling those stories of the world's greatest plant-based athletes and introducing so many athletes that many people have never heard of, like Laura Klein, for example, who's a, a, a world champion in her sport of duathlon. She's one of the best in the world, but people don't really know about her. Or Darcy Gaither, who set a world record in kayaking as the first and only woman to kayak the entire length of the Amazon river, which took five months of grueling effort to travel thousands of miles and, and also recognize so many of these other athletes who have been doing this for a long time, like Christine Vardaros, who's, you know, I think oftentimes under appreciated and not recognized as much for her contribution as someone who has been a champion plant-based athlete for more than 20 years in cycling. And, uh, and of course, a lot of the, the usuals like Rip Esselstyn, Rich Roll, and Scott Jurek and Brennan Brazier, and some of the up and coming and newer athletes like Sharon Feichman, who just competed in Tokyo at the Olympic Games in uh, women's tennis, uh, representing Canada, and Orla Walsh, who just continues to set national records in cycling, 
in um, in Ireland, and uh, and Vanessa Espinosa, who's one of the greatest athletes I've I've ever met, and it's one of my best friends, and to to and to also focus, uh, as you can probably tell, I just mentioned a whole bunch of of, of female athletes, uh, to include so many female athletes who are often again, underappreciated or overlooked. We have Dotsie Bausch in the book. We have Mary Schneider in the book. We have Jahina Malik in the book. Uh, so many other uh, great uh, female athletes, um, Natalie Matthews and, um, and, and a b- bunch of other uh, bodybuilders and, uh, and powerlifters, Kim Best and others. So we, we, we set out with this mission to, uh, to tell these stories. And, and I did all the interviews and wrote the stories and it was such a rewarding experience. And, and that's my favorite part of the book. Of course, the book covers plant-based nutrition from an evidence-based perspective. And we have chapters all about protein and carbohydrates and fats and macro and micronutrients and talk about the aggregate nutrient density index and, and uh, nutrients per calorie and how to get the most bang for your buck or the most nutritional return on investment and the foods to eat uh, pre-workout, post-workout, uh, you know, during workout, perhaps uh, calorie ranges to consume per day and, and all these things. And, and of course there's recipes that actually come from the athletes themselves, which is very, very unique and, uh, and all of that, but really the heart of the book to it, to me, and for so many readers so far, or the stories of the athletes themselves and the day in the life section. We have this section where we show from morning until night what a day in the life of a plant-based athlete looks like. And these are athletes like James Wilkes, who created the Game Changers, like Dotsie Bausch, who's one of the stars of the Game Changers, like Corinne Sutton, who has won more than 20 bodybuilding competitions as a, as a vegan bodybuilder, Harriet Davis, Natalie Matthews, you know, others, uh, Olympic athletes, endurance, Andreas Voita, uh, endurance athletes, Olympic athletes, you, where you can, men and women alike, where you can get a glimpse, you know, you can pull the curtain back. You know, what does is, what is an elite plant-based athlete really do? And even if I don't have aspirations of being an Olympic athlete, a world-class athlete, or if our readers don't have those aspirations, that's okay. The, exa- the idea is to show the example and, and what you can extract from that. You can take some tips, you can take some habits, you can take some recommendations because there's like 25 of those different day in the life routines. Julia Murray, um, who's an Olympic skier, uh, from Canada. I mean, who, who contributed not only a day in the life, but like her, her grocery shopping list and what that looks like. Um, as did Sonia Looney, a world champion, uh, a world champion mountain biker and Vanessa Espinosa, these great female athletes, world-class world champions shared, you know, what they, you know, what they, what their grocery shopping looks like. And, and as did I and Matt, you know, we shared ours, what ours is as, as well. And I think that's really the heart of the book because we wanted it to be a how-to book. We wanted to show people how to do this lifestyle. And even if it meant holding their hand to show these are exactly the foods to eat uh, and, and, and find your favorites within this category of these fruits and vegetables and legumes, grains, nuts, and seeds. And here's how to piece them together. And here's how to get the kind of the ideal ratios of, of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats that's, that are going to serve your purpose as an athlete. And here's how to reduce inflammation and avoid pro-inflammatory foods and consume anti-inflammatory foods. And here's how to get high levels of antioxidants. Here's how to avoid dietary cholesterol. Uh, if you're feeling a little bit 
you know, low energy, here's some foods to boost energy. If you're feeling like, uh, you know, you're, you, you want to add more muscle mass, here's a calorie range to shoot for, you know, if you want to burn fat, here's some effective techniques. So we really wanted to make it this, the, the absolutely how to become a plant-based athlete book that was no longer just my story, just Matt's story, just Brendan's story, Rich's story, but all these different athlete stories all in one comprehensive manual that people can apply immediately into their lives and uh, enjoy the benefits of a healthy plant-based athlete lifestyle. Yes, and uh, for me, perhaps uh, the way uh, I sort of found your book very appealing and it uh, stood out from from the other uh, books, sort of similar books, is the way you present the concept of successful vegan athlete is beyond reproach. So you you kind of move from you could be a successful vegan athlete to you will be, which is really important by showing that people have actually done it and you just present he done it, she done it, he has done it, she has done it. It's it just so, so different. Uh, the way you, you sort of um, frame it is quite different to what other people expect it to be. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for, for recognizing that. And, and that's the thing. It, whether some of these athletes are famous or not, and some of them are, you know, we talk about Venus Williams and Chris Paul and some of these household names who have been Wimbledon champions or award-winning basketball players or, you know, uh, Olympic stars in their, in their sports discipline uh, or just at the major professional level uh, and just household names. Everyone knows the names of, you know, Novak Djokovic or, you know, or others. We wanted to show these, these other athletes that you may not know their names, but they are incredibly accomplished. And even if they're not, you know, super popular on social media, if they're not on television all the time, if they're not, you know, what you, what you would consider, uh, very, very famous. They're people who have dedicated their lives to a plant-based diet and who have excelled in sports to a level that many people, most people have never done before and have set records. I mean, Scott Jurek, for example, who's been plant-based for more than 20 years now, since the 1990s, he is one of the greatest runners in the history of the world. Not just, not just out of vegan runners or not just out of this generation of, of this era of recent runners, you know, compared to generations ago or decades ago. No, no. He is one of the greatest runners in the history of the world that the world has ever known. And he's been doing this on a plant-based diet. And people need to know that people need to know that men and women alike who've been doing this for decades, or even just in recent years, that's another part of it. People who are relatively new to this, who have seen their athletic success improve because they've reduced the soreness, they've reduced inflammation, they've increased their energy, they're getting better results, they're feeling better, they're happier, they're whatever the case is. All their anecdotal stories and experiences are there. That was the idea, was to show that you're not alone. It's not one person who's, who's done this, it's not just Robert, it's not just Matt, You know, it's not just men. It's not just women. It's not just endurance athletes. It's not, not just strength athletes. It's everybody. It's mixed martial artists. It's boxers. It's skiers and snowboarders. And it's weightlifters and powerlifters and bodybuilders. And it's, it's ultra marathon runners. And it's Ironman triathletes. And it's cyclists at long distance and short distance. It's wrestlers. It's, it's, it's all these different athletes. And even though these are just first-person anecdotal stories, these are still the experiences of people who've been doing this for a long time. 
and who have seen the results play out in their own lives, much like myself. And I think those stories are important to tell. And as Dr. Michael Greger says, who wrote the foreword for our book, he's a very, a very popular author of How Not to Die and How Not to Diet, and he runs nutritionfacts.org. He says it's the, you know, it's the science that explains these results, not the other way around. So you can say, yeah, okay, Scott Jerk, maybe he's lucky. You know, he's one of the best runners in the history of the world. Maybe he just got lucky. Well, maybe there's some science that explains it too. And so we share some of those studies in the book, studies with male and female athletes, endurance and strength athletes that show real data, real, real studies that have been conducted that show that you can build just as much muscle mass on a plant-based diet as you can with an omnivorous diet. And you can have just as great endurance on a plant-based diet. In fact, actually superior. The, the, the recent study out of Montreal suggests that uh, if superior endurance results on a plant-based diet, which is why so many ultra marathoners and long distance runners gravitate towards a plant-based diet. And so we have the evidence-based research to support these anecdotal stories that have been shared by so many plant-based athletes. And so um, I'm glad to hear that that was something that uh, that did resonate with you, that, that here are these examples and you can do it too. So as you mentioned in your book, you have a couple of really awesome sections like favorite recipes of athletes and a day in life of athletes. So I was wondering, what is your day in life? Yeah, that's a great question. And it changes, you know, a little bit depending on whether I'm traveling or whether I'm not, if I'm home, if I'm working on a book deadline um, or something like that. And, and so sometimes actually I like to share a whole week in, in the life, a whole week example, which I just did in my newsletter uh, just just about a week ago, actually, I, I, because one day maybe, you know, I tried so hard to eat perfectly because I knew people were going to see it or hear about it, or I was going to put it in a book or on a website. But I think it's more transparent to show for multiple days, perhaps an entire week. But in general, like most of us, we have habits and routines that we follow. And so uh, whether we are aware of them or not, most of us have these habits that we follow, including nutrition and exercise habits. And so I can identify what a, you know, what a fairly typical day is like. And so that's what I'll, I'll share right now. So I, I tend to be, uh, uh, for better or for worse, uh, kind of a night owl. I'll stay up pretty late. I think it's part of my creative nature. And so I don't always get to bed super early. I think I went to bed at 1.30 in the morning last night, for example. And so in the morning, I, I'm not up quite as early as, as probably a lot of other people, but uh, I start my day with uh, typically some, some water or some tea or some juice or some, some sort of liquid and get outside in the sun if I'm lucky to be at that time of year, like it is right now, uh, get some sunshine, some fresh air outside. And, uh, and I'll eat pretty lightly. I usually eat some fruit in the morning. Uh, not a big heavy, I'm just not a big heavy breakfast person usually because I eat a pretty heavy dinner. And so I eat fruit in the morning. Again, I'm getting the highest levels of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fiber, water from these choices of foods. So I kind of eat fairly deliberately. So I eat fruit and water, tea, whatever, non-caffeinated tea uh, in the morning. And then I, I start my day of work or activities, whatever I'm doing. And then I snack on things like, like Lara bars. I don't know if they're they're where you live, but they're like these four ingredient bars with just nuts and fruit. Um, so they're dates and almonds or something like that. Um, very, 
very few ingredients, but it's just a little, it's packaged. So it's nice and convenient and it tastes pretty good. And they have about 200 calories per bar. So I might snack on something like that or simply on bananas or, or more fruit. And then I typically have a, a pretty good size lunch and a, a common lunch for me might be a burrito bowl because my, my wife especially makes bulk quantities of rice and beans and uh, different types of beans and, and having these toppings available like lettuce, tomato, salsa, avocado, so I can mix and match. And so that's one of my favorite meals period because of the amount of calorie density, the carbohydrate, protein, fat content, it's satiating, it's filling, it's heavy, it supports athletic performance and recovery and energy and all that. So big burrito bowl for, uh, for lunch. And then, um, and then I snack more on those little snack bars or fruit during the day and, uh, and then take dogs out for a walk in the early afternoon as I get ready to go to the gym for a gym workout. And so, uh, before workout, I typically will drink something like, oh, an electrolyte drink perhaps, or, uh, or sometimes just water or some juice or something with a little bit of calories, but some, get some hydration. Cause I know I'm going to be at the gym for one hour to one and a half hours. And if I need to, I eat maybe a banana on the way. Banana is my absolute go-to performance food just for, for energy, for uh, feeling satiated and satisfied based on the, the density of the fruit, the, the volume of it, the calories from it. Uh, and I just really like it. It's very convenient too. So I'll have a banana or two before workout. And then I go do my workout. And that is typically weight training training one to two muscle groups per workout, like biceps and triceps or back, maybe shoulders or chest on its own or legs with a little bit of abdominals. And I do this workout for an hour, an hour and a half. And occasionally, depending on the time of year, or if I'm trying to burn extra body fat, I'll do, uh, I'll use a Stairmaster, do some sort of cardiovascular training to get into an effective fat burning zone at the completion of my weight training workout. Or sometimes uh, now, you know, depend on, 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 this recent, you know, COVID protocol and everything, I, I may or may not have access to sauna, uh, steam room, hot tub, those kind of things, which I like to use. I just, it's just a form of relaxation for me and it encourages more hydration and encourages me to drink more water, which I know is going to be good for my health and for my fitness results. And so I do a little bit of heat, sometimes therapy. And then I come home and that's when I have a really big dinner because my dinner is my post-workout meal and my dinner all in one. And so that's why I say I kind of have these late nights where I might even have two dinners because I go to the gym at 5 or 6 p.m. typically, maybe 7 p.m. I don't even leave the gym, depending on when I get there, you know, till two hours later and then have to prepare dinner or, or I'm very lucky, actually, very fortunate. My wife often prepares dinner and it's, you know, often ready when I come home, which is uh, something I'm very grateful for. And so, you know, I have dinner late at night eight, nine, 10 PM, um, or later. And dinner is, I love international cuisine. I just do. I mean, maybe from traveling around a lot of places, but so many different cultures have rice and vegetable dishes, whether it's Indian food or Ethiopian food or Mexican food, Japanese food, Vietnamese food, Chinese food, Thai food. I mean, I, those are some of my absolute favorites are like, you know, Thai fried rice or, or vegetable stir fry or a curry dish with big chunks of potatoes and tofu and broccoli and carrots. I mean, I just, I get hungry just talking about it. Like it's just, it's just so good. It's so filling and it's so calorie dense for 
after just burning all these calories at the, at the gym and creating micro tears and muscle fibers and having the ability to replenish and repair those muscle fibers from all the amino acids. And so, I mean, I will eat vegan sushi, you know, tons of vegan sushi rolls that are not just avocado rolls or cucumber rolls or carrots or something boring, but it could be sweet potato or tofu or jicama or all these other things in there, mango, in addition to perhaps avocado and cucumber or whatever, corn even. I mean, I've had these exotic you know, vegan sushi. So I love international cuisine. And so that's what I'll often have. And it could even be something basic like, like pasta or, you know, and vegetables and all of that. Uh, my wife and I also make pizzas a lot. It may not sound like a healthy food, but we use this nice vegan pizza crust and we uh, use a, a red marinara sauce and a, a little bit of vegan cheese. And then we cover it with bell peppers and artichoke hearts and mushrooms and spinach and tomatoes and olives. And it's basically like a salad, you know, on bread, but it tastes so good. And so that, you know, or, or, or even, you know, these plant-based burgers, uh, we had that recently at home. And so I'm, I'm eating all of these same foods that omnivores love to eat pizza and burgers and pasta and soups and stews and salads and curries and all this stuff, sushi. I'm eating all of it, but I'm doing it plant-based and, and all vegan. And that's how I have my, my dinners. And then I just kind of wind down, you know, and, and hang out with uh, my wife and our dogs and, um, either work on some writing or a little bit of work or, or lately as I've been relaxing a bit more, as I've been telling you, I maybe watch some television, which I haven't always been a fan of, uh, uh, but now I'm learning to, you know, accept some of that downtime a bit more and relax, watch some television. Um, and again, you know, stay hydrated and consume some more water or something throughout the night. And then I get to bed, you know, kind of fairly late just because of my, my gym routine and my lifestyle routine that keeps me up pretty late. And then I, start over the next day. And I may have leftovers. I may have oatmeal for breakfast instead of fruit to have something heavier. I may, might even have a green smoothie in the morning. It's not always fruit, but you know, I, I, I mix it up a bit. And, and as I, and as we show in the book, there's, there's so many different things to do, you know, tofu scramble or all these other, you know, acai bowl, all these breakfast options and lunch and dinner options. I just kind of pick whatever I'm in the mood for, whatever, or whatever I have access to. Um, and, and that's when I'm, and that's what I'm going to have, including having some oatmeal, you know, after, after talking to you today, I'm going to start my day with that. Hmm. Yeah. And you bring forward an excellent, excellent point. So you're not really coming across from the point of lack of foods or restriction of foods, but actually from the point of abundance of types of foods that you have and the world cuisines that you mentioned. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's something that really needs to be communicated because, you know, veganism is, is becoming really popular now and within athletes, you know, many people are, are adopting a plant-based diet as athletes or, or a mostly plant-based diet, like, you know, like a Tom Brady or Serena Williams or Mike Tyson or some of these best athletes in the world in their sports mm. or, or these big historical names of champions who are adopting a mostly plant-based diet or sometimes exclusively uh, plant-based diet. It's, it's something that people need to understand that, that basically there's this expression, anything you can do, I can do vegan, you know, or anything you can make, I can make vegan. And that's, that, that's something we have to understand that we're not talking about restriction. We're not talking about, um, deprivation. I mean, for example, you know what I'm having for lunch today? I'm, I'm going down and having a, a bunch of uh, Jamaican vegan food today. There's a Jamaican vegan food truck, which is all kinds of collard greens and beans and 
cabbage and sweet potato. It's different every day. And in this town that I'm in right now in Santa Fe, New Mexico, there's this Jamaican vegan food truck. And I, I'm going to go get some of that for lunch today after I have oatmeal and fruit this morning. So we're talking like, and I had Mexican food last night, you know, um, uh, tamales and, uh, and these like, you know, little miniature burrito things with, with rice and beans and avocado and all that. And, uh, I'm going to have some Thai food probably tomorrow. Cause there's two all vegan Thai food restaurants just in this, you know, in this nearby town. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the variety, the abundance is always there. And many people are eating more plant-based than they think. Every fruit that they eat, every salad that, you know, at least, you know, salad greens that they have, maybe not the dressing or some other things they put on, but all the vegetables they eat, all the rice and beans and lentils and potatoes and yams and sweet potatoes. And if they ever have any tofu or, or tempeh or they have oatmeal or they have, you know, a green juice or green smoothie or they eat strawberries or watermelon or mango or berries, I mean, People are eating a lot of plant-based foods without knowing it. We're just saying, hey, take it a few more steps further and cut out all the animal protein, reduce the dietary cholesterol or eliminate the dietary cholesterol altogether, reduce the saturated fat intake, reduce the excess calorie intake, increase the fiber intake, increase the vitamin, mineral, phytonutrient, and antioxidant intake, and see how you feel. See how your soreness is, your inflammation, your energy, uh, you know, other aspects, maybe your sleep or your, your calorie, uh, consumption versus expenditure ratio. And if you end up, you know, shedding some, uh, unwanted body fat or, or dropping weight or, or getting leaner or whatever the case is, um, give it a try. That's what we're saying. And we're trying to make this plant-based diet for everybody. And that's what the plant-based athlete is. We aim to make it totally mainstream for anybody out there. Even if you've never heard of this diet or lifestyle before, it's brand new to you. We hold your hand along the way and say, this is how to do it. This is how to do it successfully. These are some things to avoid, you know, some pitfalls to avoid, like, like avoiding under eating, you know, by substituting, taking out meat and eggs and, and milk and other dairy products and only substituting those with vegetables, which are far more, um, far fewer calories uh, as far as calorie density and, and, and use some heavier foods like potatoes and lentils and, and and beans and oats and all of that to make sure you're still getting, you know, your adequate calorie range and to, and to avoid obsessing about protein intake and realize that the, the myriad benefits of complex carbohydrates and the micronutrition they provide. And, um, you know, and these, and avoid too many processed foods and excess oils, you know, some oils, okay, but not in excess. It's just so calorie dense and doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it. And so we, we, you know, we advise those things, what supplements you might need to be aware of, like taking vitamin B12 and for many people, vitamin D and for many people, DHA, EPA, omega-3 essential fatty acids. And, you know, and which ones you don't really need to worry about, you know, that are just like these sports performance ones, like protein powders or meal replacement powders, or, you know, ones that are mostly marketing, uh, because you're getting all those nutrients from real food. And so we try to cover all of that in a way that's welcoming, inviting, we're not here to say this is the best diet in the, you know, in the world for everybody. We're saying that, that this, this is a, a viable option that should not slow you down and you should be able to achieve all your health and fitness goals, doing it in this compassionate way and give it a try and, and see what you think. So then thinking about the bigger picture, what would you think are the implications for the wider society of uh, us adopting more of plant-based plant diet? 
Oh, I think the biggest implication is the healthcare costs. I mean, most people, I mean, you look at, you can look at any st- statistics you want, um, especially here in America or in, in Western societies or very developed countries and wealthy countries. What you're seeing is a diet that's very heavy uh, animal product, animal protein based. You're seeing very heavy animal consumption, and you're also seeing these correlating uh, health issues. And you know, we can we can talk about the um, you know class one and class two A carcinogens of processed meats and red meats and foods like hot dogs and sausages and deli meats and all of that that are that are I mean identified as probable causes of cancer. And we know that at this point something like one out of every two citizens is is obese. One out of every two will uh, will get cancer. One out of every two or three will get diabetes. One out of every two or three will get hypertension. I mean. These are, these are real consequences, uh, and we see it all around us. Um, there's obesity epi- epidemic, and it's not just the, the fountain drinks and the sugars and all of that from soda. And, and, and quite frankly, where do you get soda? It's typically from a fast food restaurant. You're getting it to wash down a big burger and fries and milkshake and, and uh, you know, sandwich or wrap or nuggets or something. Otherwise, you, you, know, you wouldn't really be going for those kinds of beverages. And, and so it's, uh, I think that the... The health, the the healthcare situation will change dramatically as more people adopt a plant based diet. The, obviously, the environmental implications are are, are very very clear, uh, and all the all the damage we're doing to uh, you know to cut down uh, rainforest and and create this land to graze billions of animals or to grow monocrops, soybeans, and other other crops to feed to uh, animals in feedlots and um, confined factory farms and all of that. And, and then of course there's the implication for the animals themselves, um, which are when you factor in fish or in the trillions, uh, they get consumed and of course damaging the oceans and, and trawling the ocean floor and, and, uh, and all that com- that comes with that, all the sharks and whales and everything that's caught in those, those big nets that can stretch a mile and a half across and, and just scrape across the ocean floor and take everything in its wake. But I think the thing that most people are going to resonate with is the health aspect, just because that's how, you know, as, as humans, we, we tend to think about ourselves and about things that will benefit us and, and not necessarily worry about things like the environment or animals. Um, that's not necessarily where my focus is or my perspective or, or my hope. And that's certainly not how I got into this. Mine was for the animals and for the environment and, and for health, quite frankly, for third, but but I think it's the health benefits that are going to resonate with most people, that you can prevent many of our common degenerative diseases by abstaining from consuming animal protein and by adopting a plant-based diet. And we know this because we just know the benefits of anti-inflammatory foods and antioxidant foods and vitamin and mineral rich foods. Why do you think we have a over a $100 billion supplement industry, which is mostly uh, vitamins and then protein powders? It's because people are not consuming a lot of vitamins and they're not consuming fruits and vegetables and leafy greens and these really nutrient dense foods. And they're eating restaurant food and fast food and convenience foods and, and need to supplement with, with vitamins because they're not eating it in food form. And then we have our obsession with protein, which was very, very fun to write about in the book. I, I really enjoyed that part, uh, you know, where that comes from, why we're obsessed with it, why it's so effective in marketing and how everyone you've ever met basically uh, consumes more protein than they need, yet they're still being sold this idea they need more of it. And you've n- really never met anybody with a clinical protein deficiency unless they have uh, uh, eating disorders or they live in a food desert or they 
live in a poor country, developing country, and simply don't have access to adequate calories, you just don't see, you don't see real protein deficiency. It's just not there. Um, as long as you get enough calories, you get enough protein. Uh, that's key. You have to get enough calories, but if you do, you get enough protein. And so it doesn't really exist in the Western world um, on any kind of measurable scale, yet it's something we all fear by the hundreds of millions, if not by the billions, uh, that we're just going to run out of protein. Um, it's kind of absurd, but uh, but we wrote about that in the book. And so there are tremendous global implications to this uh, that, that are that are far-reaching, that, that impact you and your loved ones and your relatives and your and your best friends to people you'll never meet and animals you'll never meet and parts of the, the globe you'll never visit. But it all still matters. It all still matters. And, and just because something may not be important to you, it doesn't mean it's not important to someone else who lives across the world who's impacted by it. Or, or, or just because this animal isn't, uh, isn't revered um, as much as a dog uh, doesn't mean they don't have feelings and want to live, you know, have their own family and live their own life uh, free of fear, pain, and suffering. And, and just because, you know, your city or your country isn't on fire or flooding doesn't mean it's not happening elsewhere. And we, I think we need to just have some empathy uh, for that and have our actions support that empathy and, and direct that, direct our actions accordingly. So, um, massive global implications and everything that I can see points to a plant-based diet being a very, very positive thing for all three of those key components. Yes, for sure. So what is your absolutely favorite guilty pleasure food? And do you have some foods that you would not even come close <laughs> to? Yeah, good question. Absolutely guilty pleasure food. Well, again, I have to look at my habits, right? I have to look at what do I really do with my time? And I would have to say, um, and I mentioned this in the book, actually, I love, I love popsicles. Like I love fruit. I mean, I love fruit in general. And I realize popsicles are mostly like fake fruit. It's, you know, but, but I do eat popsicles. I have real fruits in them, like real pieces of fruit in them. I love, I love popsicles. I love frozen fruit. And, um, I'm actually not a big vegan ice cream fan, but here visiting family, I've been eating it every single night because it's here. And, you know, We've been playing playing games, you know, sitting around the table, playing board games and having fun and conversation. Why not? So, um, so that you know that makes its way into my diet sometimes. But I would say it's really like the popsicles um, as far as like a treat. Uh, but I also like, and I wouldn't say it's a guilty pleasure. That's why I hesitated. But you know, I really like things like vegan pizza. But I make, as I told you, I make it really healthy, like a healthy version of it, so I don't feel like it's any kind of guilty thing. But I'm not, I'm not really like a vegan donut or pastry eating kind of person. In fact, we got some vegan cupcakes at a all vegan bakery um, many days ago. And I think only half of one has been eaten so far. We may have to throw them away. Unfortunately, we just, I'm just not much of a sweet tooth person. And as far as foods that I absolutely stay away from, well, uh, I mean, obviously anything with, with animal protein or animal byproducts in it, I'm, I'm, I'm never tempted. I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not one of those people that's tempted by the smell of bacon or a burger or cheese. I'm just not, absolutely not. But, um, you know, I would have to say maybe something that's, I don't know, smothered in, in oil or something that's just super greasy. I mean, I still have some vegan French fries and stuff. In fact, I had some the other day, but I'm just, I really don't like oily stuff. Um, 
just from the just so many excess calories in it and and just so much extra fat uh i just i'm not a big fan of uh, of really oily foods whether it's a restaurant food or a you know anything i might like deep fried stuff i should say i uh, deep fried oily stuff and i know a lot of people love that you know chicken nuggets and everything and and i do at times too but um I guess that's what I would say. And, and they're not things that I would absolutely always stay away from, but I just, I do try to avoid some of those uh, super deep fried and, and greasy uh, vegan food options that are out there. Looks like no tempting of you but with the vegan huge lava chocolate cake then. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually doesn't sound appealing to me. Uh, even like <laughs> vegan birthday, if it's my, you know, a birthday or something, there's vegan cake. I'm like, uh I take one bite of frosty and I have to, uh, you know, I'm no way, not for me. It's way too sweet. So yeah, you, you vegan chocolate lava cake or, or <laughs> cheesecake or anything else you want to mention. That's not for me. It's just not, I'd, I'd rather have some raspberries. I'd rather have some blueberries, mango. And that's true. That's, 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 that's the truth. But popsicles, I will take any day of the week, even in the middle of winter, when it's snowing outside, I'll take a popsicle. No problem. <laughs> Excellent. So secret popsicle stash somewhere yeah, in your freezer. Yes, yeah, somewhere cold, yeah. <laughs> well, we've taken up a lot of your time. So can you t- tell us what are you currently working on and what will be your next project? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I'm still figuring it out. Uh, first, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for your very interesting questions. I got to talk about some things I don't always talk about, including even just the work-life balance stuff that rarely ever comes up on podcast interviews because I'm always talking about the book or building muscle or something. So I appreciate the opportunity to share that. And, you know, I would like to write another book. In fact, I'd like to write many more books. I just don't know what the next one is. At the moment, I'm trying to get more language translations. We already have the plant-based athlete translated into German, Chinese, Italian, Spanish, Korean, and it's available in English in a variety of countries, Australia and Canada, US, other places perhaps. So I, I want to do more writing. Um, I'd like to get back to touring and speaking. I work with Vegan Strong, a nonprofit vegan athlete organization that tours around the country and speaks at a lot of events. And I just got an invite today actually to speak uh, at, at another event. And so, you know, COVID permitting, uh, maybe I'll accept that speaking invitation and do that. And at the moment, you know, to be honest, I'm just really enjoying visiting bookstores and signing books. I was doing that for hours yesterday and and I'll be doing it uh, uh, next week in California, actually, out in Hollywood. Um, and uh, and I'll be doing it in other parts of, of the country based on some of my upcoming work travels. Uh, and and I look forward to that. So uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into to regular exercise routine that I honestly took a little bit of a break from when I was releasing the book to try to get the book to be as successful as possible. But now that I took a break from those 15 hour days on the computer, I kind of like it. And so I'm going to go have some kind of late morning breakfast right now and go exercise outside and go get some Jamaican vegan food for lunch. And maybe who knows, even exercise some more in the sun and then, and then uh, work on my computer for a bit and, and decide what I can write about next. Maybe an article, maybe interview, maybe a magazine thing, or maybe the starting of a new book. We'll, we'll have to see. So where can our listeners find more information about your work, your book, and maybe some pictures of your chihuahuas? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I share a lot of photos on Instagram. I'm, I'm, I probably use social media more than I should. Um, it's like one of those things you get kind of 
into the routine, the habit, or even addiction <laughs> too. And so um, Robert.Cheek uh, with an E on the end, Robert.Cheek on Instagram or all one word, vegan bodybuilding and fitness on Instagram. And of course, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. And really, you just have to search Robert Cheek and you'll find me. I mean, just Google search Robert Cheek. I've been doing this stuff on the internet for 20 years. Uh, so photos, videos, that's all there. I've written a bunch of other books too. I've got five books out there. And of course, veganbodybuilding.com is my my main website and robertcheek.net. But, uh, but yeah, and you can just search the plant-based athlete. It's available everywhere. I mean, in lots of different countries now and and in Book Depository, no matter where you are, anywhere in the world, you can order from Book Depository. So people are getting the book in Amsterdam and, I don't know, Japan, Peru, wherever. Uh, but you'll find it in, on shelves in uh, primarily North America in bookstores. But you can find it anywhere online. And, uh, and you're welcome to uh, say hi on social media, see photos of our very cute dogs, uh, who are plant-based, by the way, and have been for over 10 years. And... Uh, and uh, connect online. I'm I'm around until I get bored of it, and I'll <laughs> and I'll get off social media and focus on a new book. But for now, I'm there, and feel free to say hi anytime. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for this honest and truly inspiring discussion. Well, thank you, Galina. Thank you for giving me uh, an opportunity to to share quite a bit, and uh, I appreciate it. And I uh, wish you all the best. And I'm so pleased that you enjoyed the plant based athlete and gave me an opportunity to share with your listeners today. So, thank you. <laughs>